Man in My Head by Elodie Cunningham I was once a man. I was once an ordinary man with an ordinary education who just happened to land a job as a research associate at a place called Babel. Top secret, government funded, full of the weirdest shit you could imagine. I was just a low-level grunt, assigned to the tectonics department for the most part, and all in all it was a pretty good job. I wasn't terrible at it, nor was I perfect. I guess that's really the crucial detail. It began on a grim mid-September day. drive to the compound was treacherous. Tarmac frozen over into an icy death trap by the sleet spattering down through that sky like bitter white knives. It was going to get a lot worse than this in the coming months. There's a reason most of Iceland stays close to home during the colder parts of the year. And right now that reason was hitting my windshield. I finally pulled up outside my building, hairs on my neck standing on end more from stress than cold. Babel Theta Base, they called it. I never understood what that part was about. An ancient Greek letter, probably more of a ostentatious gesture than any kind of necessity. As I stepped through into the main reception, stomping slush from my boots and, for a moment, enjoying a burst of warmth from the central heating, I was met with distant, agitated noise. Curious, I hurriedly grabbed the crumpled lab coat from my locker and jogged towards the tectonics lab. The site of the disturbance. The lab was a heaving mass of white-coated bodies, all pushing and shoving to see something on the room's central workbench. I craned my neck to see over the unusually riled scientists, but all I could make out was a group of security guards and Babel's monstrous guard dogs. Mantises. Black, hulking, murky-plated hides and great scythe-like claws on their forearms. The very existence of these creatures was classified, and those razor-sharp chitinous talons ensured that it remained so. The guards' weapons were raised nervously as they pathetically attempted to quell the lab brigade's tantrum. I sighed again and resigned myself to a wooden stool in the corner of the room. It looked like I wouldn't be getting much work done today. 
As I was leaning back against the wall, readying myself for a little extra shut-eye while I had the chance, the double doors crashed open. I was jerked awake, losing balance and tipping unceremoniously from my chair down onto the hard-tiled floor in surprise. Silence! yelled a woman's commanding voice. Let me through. The shouts quickly petered out into a few hushed conversations, then to silence, as the scientists shuffled out of the way of the elderly site manager. Dr. Kristen. A woman with intimidating gravitas backed up by a lethal reputation, a suggestion of well-honed muscle hidden behind wrinkles, and a sharp glint in her icy blue eyes. Everyone who isn't part of the Tectonics team, get out. Now! A grumbling line of lab-coated men and women shambled out, leaving the 32 members of the Tectonics team dotted nervously around the room, now with a full view of the thing on the workbench. All I could see from the cold tiles of the floor was the jutting corner of a shimmering cuboid, the surface shifting impossibly like smoke trapped in an invisible box. I picked myself up and cautiously wandered over to the odd artifact. Dr. Kristen waved for the security guards to leave, not taking her eyes off the thing. Reluctantly, they obeyed casting uneasy gazes back at the weird object as they marched out of the lab. For a while, my brain couldn't make sense of what my eyes were taking in, like a visual illusion from one of the books I'd spent endless hours puzzling over as a kid. The thing was indeed a cuboid, and did indeed shimmer and shift oddly as I stared at it. It was about seven feet long and had the perfect shape of a human being carved into it. That human being was a thin man in his early twenties with high cheekbones, a round face and a, a, a small nose. That, that man was me. Somehow I was staring at a perfect replica of me. I stepped back, but that's, that's, I trailed off. Yeah, a bearded man who I had spoken to on a few occasions while working, but whose name I had never quite bothered to remember, said, voice heavy with fear, it's me. How could it be me? What are you talking about? stuttered a woman sharply another research associate that I didn't know too well. Don't fuck around with me, Eric! That's obviously me! Somehow, it, it's me! I mean, I mean, somehow it's me! She fell to her knees, a look of pure horror on her face. A few of the other scientists around the room joined her. Dr. Kristen, however, stood firm, staring grimly at the thing. Seems that there's some kind of psychic property to it. Which one of you found this thing? A small, ratty man I knew only as Gunnison stepped forward meekly and said, 
I was reviewing the G footage last night, and I noticed something peculiar. I zoomed in and saw <laughs> it was odd. Somehow this thing was floating in a lava flow. It came from within the Earth's crust, completely unscathed. <laughs> There's nothing that could possibly do that. <laughs> nothing we know of, corrected the site manager. Her voice firm and stoic as ever. Right, continued Gunnison. So I clocked out a heavy lifting truck and went to collect it. Scientific discovery of the century, I thought. <laughs> but that's when the weird stuff started happening. <laughs> I found the place where I'd predicted it could wash up based on the footage. There it was, as I'd expected. But when I got close, I... The carving. <laughs> it was me. I mean, how is that even possible? <laughs> Then I tried to touch it, but I just couldn't. Like some kind of repulsive force. When I brought it back to the lab, everyone but the night guards had gone home. I got some real weird looks from the checkpoint officers, I can tell you. <laughs> he began to giggle inanely. <laughs> it doesn't react to any chemical tests. And you can't damage it in any way. It's like it's not even there. Impossible. It can't be real. I, I refuse to believe it. It, it. It's not real. Guards, it's not called the site possible. manager. She it's sighed deeply as they carried possible. the hysterical man away. Well, I'm stumped. What can we even do to test something like this? There was an odd tingling at the back of my head. And at first I thought it was just an itch. But then it got stronger, manifesting as an urge. An urge to reach out and touch the object. Doctor, I, I feel as if it's drawing me in, I reported uneasily, clutching at my head, now burning with pain and an alien longing. Is anybody else experiencing this effect? asked the site manager. When the rest shook their heads, she seemed to consider for a moment, and then said, calm as ever, everybody else get to the back of the room. I'd like to see what happens if you make contact. Touch the artifact. I was only vaguely aware of her order, but nonetheless I gave up fighting to keep my hand away from the object. Feeling my arms slip from my control, my hand finally came to rest upon its odd surface. It was cool to the touch, and vibrated with a low hum that softly and uncomfortably travelled up my arm and filled my body. It's sort of tingling, like a very low electrical current, I reported. I can't really feel much help. I suddenly lost control of my jaw, which clamped tightly shut. I tried to make some noise of discomfort, but found myself voiceless. In fact, I quickly realised, I had lost control of my entire body. 
now of its own volition climbing onto the object. I order you to stop that, cried the site manager. Her calm shattering like a sheet of ice, she tugged at my leg but was kicked off. Guards! She shouted again, summoning the two that had remained outside as Gunnison was escorted away. They ran in, mantises at their heels, the beast's claws raised, ready to defend their masters. But they were too late. My body was already face down in the carved-out shape, filled with pain and lightning and unbearable vibration. I tried to scream, but still no sound came. I could feel myself sinking into the object, feel it close in behind me, cool and warm and light and crushing leaving me breathless and agonized. It felt as if my flesh were being ripped open and resealed, only to be torn again and again and again. And then, just as soon as it had begun, it was over. I was laying on the solid, comforting surface of the workbench. The artifact had vanished and my strange ordeal was over, nothing but a vague tingling in my forehead, like fingers tentatively caressing the surface of my mind. Relieved, I tried to sit up and tell the others that I was fine. Not a word left my lips and my muscles remained slack. Panicking, I poured every ounce of my strength and defiance into moving my arm, a, a feat that proved to be utterly impossible. Instead, my body pulled itself up elegantly and bowed to the flabbergasted site manager, my head swirling at the unexpected motion, the fingers beginning to gently pierce my frontal lobe, bringing with them a vague, unsettling discomfort, just on the edge of pain. Hello there, my voice said without instruction. I am the perfect worker. I will complete any task you give me to the highest possible standard. I can assure you of that. I felt my mouth smiling a smile far too wide as I strained out in front of the doctor, the muscles in my cheeks straining uncomfortably. And then I felt the daggers stab into my brain. Those long, searching digits so gentle before ripped through my thoughts, memories. A squeezing pressure pulsing through my head as those fingers settled into the darkest recesses of my mind. Gripping me. Trapping me in. What? What's happened to you? stammered the old woman, her tight cheeks pale. Your eyes... Yes, that is because I am now in complete control of this organism. I apologize. There is regrettably no way for the previous occupant to return now. His very essence has been supplanted by my own. I'm sorry if this is of any inconvenience to you, ma'am. Liar! I thought, 
wrestling ineffectually for control once more. I'm right here! Could you clean this lab up for me? asked Dr. Kristen warily. Certainly, my mouth said, quirking uncomfortably, and my body bowed again. The perpetual grin was becoming painful now. And so my body tidied and cleaned every corner of the lab, occasionally asking for cleaning supplies as it worked. The room was absolutely spotless in the space of just a few minutes. The site manager stared as I bowed again, her jaw hanging open in disbelief. And so it began. I was tasked with many more jobs around the compound that day, Dr. Kristen observing my performance intently. At the end of the day, I was told that I wouldn't be able to leave the compound due to the nature of my condition. My mouth sounded words of agreement and, to my despair, offered all of my possessions to the company to do with as they would. A makeshift bed was put together for me in a disused office, little more than a ragged old blanket and a cushion from the break room, laid out upon the hardwood panelling of the office floor. There I lay, two guards standing outside the room, ready to quell me should I prove to be more sinister than I seemed. For that brief moment as I drifted into sleep, I almost felt as if that strangling grip began to loosen, that throbbing pressure softening, just a little. <sighs> I jolted awake and surveyed my surroundings hazily as my eyes adjusted to the darkness. I was in my bed in my apartment, just as I had been the night before. Was everything that had happened to me just some strange, horrific nightmare? I breathed out heavily with relief. I was safe in my home and in control of my body. I settled back down under my covers. Don't get comfortable said an oddly familiar voice, as icy cold as the sleet that hammered relentlessly at my window. My relief gone, and my heart pounding, I turned slowly to see who had just spoken. The face I turned to see was my own, but different somehow, warped. It had eyes as black as the barren space between galaxies, and a wide grin filled with teeth sharpened to points. All semblance of drowsiness gone, I shuffled to the other end of the bed as quickly as I could, away from the doppelganger. Pitiful, it said, cocking its head. Who... Who are you? I stuttered. And how did you get into my apartment? You haven't worked out that this isn't your apartment yet? The other me sighed. You're dreaming. This isn't exactly the setting I imagined our first meeting to take place in, but it'll do, I suppose. I asked who you were, I said with a little more stuttering force. I'm the perfect worker, 
at your service, or rather, you're at mine. His voice dripped with malicious intent. You're merely a host, a plaything. I haven't had any fun in such a long time. You see, I'm not really so much of a perfect worker as I am a perfect human being. And what do human beings want more than to have fun? Fun? I asked as the doppelganger's grin grew wider. What do you mean? <sighs> I wouldn't want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> You'll see. And with that, <gasps> I awoke in that same cold office. My whole body ached from lying on the hardwood panelling, but I couldn't stretch my muscles, and the thing that had taken control didn't appear to have any intention of doing so. The worker stood my body up and swung open the office door, causing the security guard who was just reaching to open it himself to stumble forward, dropping the tray of breakfast he was carrying. The worker snatched it out of the air in a flash of movement and bowed in thanks to the bewildered guard, who collected himself and left quickly, casting an uneasy glance back at the perfect worker and me, still bowing low. My tongue licked my lips as he left. Though it wasn't the tray of food my eyes were directed towards. Over the next few weeks, the worker completed thousands of tasks to an impossibly high standard. The strain on my body was endless and agonizing. There were times that I found myself begging the worker to stretch my muscles during our torturous dream meetings each more twisted and surreal than the last. But he simply laughed away my requests. Eventually, I resigned myself to my reality. A passenger in my own brain, switched off and dead. As the monotonous days dragged on, the interest of the other scientists and guards in the perfect worker dwindled to almost nothing. He was part of the furniture now, slightly creepy, but otherwise entirely harmless and trustworthy. Of course, I knew otherwise. My lack of communication with others was beginning to take its toll on my sanity. I could speak to nobody, warn nobody, nobody but the perfect worker. Every time I caught a glimpse of my reflection, those eyes stared back, black as night with red pupils like crimson droplets of blood. Occasionally he would wink or lick his lips or force me to acknowledge a jagged scar across my hand, a remnant of some physical mutilation I tried hard to forget, another of the workers' sordid attempts at breaking me for good. 
the worker was even granted access to Sector D, the compound's peak security area, barred to all but the highest level employees and, in emergencies, security personnel. The place was clinical, spotless and unsettling. There was nothing overtly unusual about the sector, but despite that I felt a deep-set unease, a low hum reverberating through my body, an uncanny growl hovering just at the edge of hearing, retreating just far enough to avoid my straining ears, tantalising and upsetting. I always dreaded being sent to Sector D but found myself there more and more, tinkering with this or that machine or system I couldn't begin to understand. And then one night, we didn't go to sleep at the regular time. Instead, we stood silently in our drab bedroom, listening to the footsteps of a passing night guard and the clacking of their mantises' claws on the scuffed flooring. Then... After a while, I felt the unending grin of my mouth widen. Don't you think it's about time we let the fun begin? said my voice, and I felt a sudden dread. What could he be planning? Whilst he was obviously aware of my thoughts, I wasn't privy to his at all. My panic rose as he reached into the desk drawer and pulled out a carving knife he had stolen from the canteen a week prior. I had blocked the event out, but now it was all coming back, the way he had slowly sliced across my hand, how every impulse had told me to scream and run, how powerless I had been to stop him. And now he began to slowly grate the enamel from my teeth one by one, sharpening them to lethal points. The pain as he ripped at my nerve endings was excruciating. It shot through my brain like needles stabbing into my head, over and over. No way to run. No way to block out the agony. I felt Every scrape of the knife as I watched the outer layers of my teeth drift slowly to the wooden floor. My mind was still bursting with shooting pain from my shorn teeth and bleeding gums as we silently swept out of the door and into the darkness of the facility. We made our way quickly towards the main security station avoiding all the main nighttime patrol routes. The worker politely knocked on the station's door and bowed low when one of the off-duty guards peered out. I have been instructed to inform you of an armed break-in in Sector D, the worker lied. You are to direct all available staff to secure the sector immediately. I shall watch over the security station. The guard who had answered the door called over to the other manning the monitor. You see anything on the monitors, Eddie? No, I... Wait. Oh shit, this is a loop! 
It's every single camera in Sector D. Eddie's eyebrows knitted, voice breaking with panic. We have to get down there. Okay, said the first guard grimly, fastening his helmet to his head. This is the real deal. Move out. Eddie called the order for all security personnel to move to Sector D and joined the other guards as they sprinted out of the office. The worker quickly perched on the swivel chair by the monitors and typed a few codes into the console. The images on the Sector D monitors suddenly changed to show a large group of confused security guards, their guns raised as they searched for any sign of a break-in. The worker chuckled as he inputted a few more codes with a zealous hand. As soon as he hit enter, a klaxon sounded, accompanied by a computerized voice. Sector D lockdown in effect. It sounded, cold and clinical as a doctor's scalpel. Sector D lockdown complete. A wave of panic surged through the guards and they sprinted towards the exits, now blocked by fifteen inches of solid steel. I watched the guards as they began to comprehend what was happening, listening to their dismayed cries as tense voices called for help. Agitated, the mantises clawed at each other, and as their dark blood spilled, a growl rattled through the security station speakers. A dark, looming shape slithered out of a breached containment cell, passing from screen to screen, form blurred and distorted by the pixelated security monitors, heading towards the bloodied panic of the security team. It was over in minutes. The creature lurched away, leaving a trail of gore snaking behind it, and a single, mortally wounded mantis laying in a pool of its own blood. It cooed gently, nuzzled against the tattered remains of a guard, then lay still. Shock and terror filled every inch of my being. What I had just witnessed could not have been real. There was no way even the worker could have done something so brutal. I wanted to cry. I just wanted to be back in my apartment, in my cosy bed with a good book, and... This was too much! In that moment, the fragile remnants of my sanity collapsed around me. It could have been seconds or days, for all I knew, in my state of numbness and despair before the first people began to arrive for work at the compound. The worker giggled again, confirming my fears. He was going to kill again. Of course he was. Why would he stop now? As more people came in, the worker opened up the guard roster and clocked each of his victims out to avoid suspicion leaving the Sector D lockdown in place. And then the first guard arrived at the monitoring station. It was the one who had brought us breakfast on that first morning. Oh, uh, what are you doing here? 
asked the nervous young man. He must have been in his early twenties, perhaps younger. The worker stood and bowed low, tongue pricking against my sharpened teeth as he licked his lips out of the man's sight. I felt another hot surge of panic. Oh, I'm just having a bit of fun, said the worker, gesturing at the monitors with a chuckle. Take a look at what I did. The guard's eyes widened in terror and he turned to sprint away, but he was already too late. The perfect worker launched himself from the chair, tackling the guard to the floor. Slowly, he closed my jaws around the sobbing man's throat, and in the next instant all I could taste was a wet, metallic rush of blood. The worker stood and swept back over to the console, blood dripping down my chin. He typed, and once again the klaxon sounded, the voice now proclaiming that the mantis stables had been locked down. We don't want any trouble from them now, do we? he said, as he hit enter, and the stables began to fill with a thick gas. I fought desperately to look away as the creatures choked to death, but to no avail. I saw every moment. When had the perfect worker set up all these traps? It must have been during the two weeks he had spent, to my knowledge, obeying orders meticulously. He could have sabotaged anything and Nobody would have known. Not even me. The worker punched in one last inevitable code, and the entire facility went into lockdown, with every guard and scientist and research associate trapped inside. He opened up Sector D and the Mantis stables and left the security office behind. Screams engulfed me. The angry shouts and despairing sobs of the trapped. Confused and panic-stricken, scientists, technicians, cleaners and guards hammered against the thick metal doors that caged them in a sudden hell of pulsing red emergency lights. The perfect worker slipped past, undetected and entirely unsuspected. My co-workers far too preoccupied to notice my blood-stained face and coat in the gloom of the lockdown. Thin tendrils of poisonous gas were beginning to seep out from the mantis stables. All around me people coughed and choked as the poison began to twist its way into their lungs. A sound on the air, barely perceptible, almost like a distant growl. As we stalked onward, our destination became clear. Above the racket of fear and rage echoed a commanding voice. It was Dr. Kristen. We turned a corner into the reception area and there she was stood on the main desk with a megaphone, shouting orders and words of encouragement to all those still capable of listening. 
Slowly, we marched up behind her and stroked her finger down her neck. She shivered and swung around, her voice breaking into silence. Oh, good. It's only you, she said. Then she looked down at the knife in her stomach. She slumped to the ground with a gentle, Oh, as all hell broke loose. Those who had rallied to the site manager's confident tones stumbled away, screaming, sending waves of renewed terror crashing through the compound. The worker pulled the knife from the old woman's stomach and slowly lifted it to my face. Sudden and intense pain jolted through me as the knife sliced into my cheek, ripping my mouth into an enormous bloody grin. The pain snapped into terror once again as the worker threw himself forward at the cowering form of Gunnison, ten meters away, leaning against the sealed main entrance to Theta Base. The small man scrabbled as he tried desperately to get away, but the worker stabbed the knife through his hand and into the tiled surface of the floor, pinning him down. Blood poured out of Gunnison's lacerated hand, snaking like a red delta through the cracked black tiling. The man hysterically tried to pull himself away as the worker tore at his throat with my sharp teeth. Once again, that iron tang filled my mouth. I watched in horror as the dead man gargled and throffed a thick red foam from his gulping mouth. As if nothing had happened at all, the worker stood calmly and adjusted his blood-soaked lab coat. Everywhere, people screamed and ran or lay on the ground with vacant, glassy eyes. A few had toppled, beginning to choke to death on the poisonous gas that was filling the air in thick, smoky coils. The noise was becoming more distinct now, a wet thumping edging closer from the direction of Sector D. Nonchalantly, the perfect worker pulled the knife from Gunnison's twisted hand and tossed it up in the air before catching it, holding it ready to throw at a poor, sobbing canteen worker. Surrounded by death and pain and suffering, about to watch another human being die by my own hand, I stood. And here I stand trapped in an excruciatingly endless moment. And in this moment, the icy coldness is melted by a burning hot rage that floods through my body. No more! Feeling the words pour from my mouth like lava, the numbness in my limbs burns away and I force my struggling hand to drop the knife to the floor. It clatters away into the shadows, and I stand, shaking amidst the stares of the watching scientists, guards, and workers, myself and the man in my head both struggling for control. No! My mouth spits. You won't stop this! 
and the perfect worker launches my body towards the terrified canteen worker, roaring in indignant rage as I twist the trajectory, sending us tumbling into a bloody heap a few meters from his prey. I feel a sharp pain in my back and look up to see the canteen worker, tears streaming down her wrinkled face, blood spattered across her apron and hands. My blood. I lose control for a second. And in that moment, the worker is up and the old woman's neck is snapped. I scream again and chomp down on my own tongue, a new well of blood bursting forth. I use the worker's brief moment of surprise to draw the knife from my back. And once again, we stand, locked in battle for control over my hand. I think of the broken bodies of the night watchmen who died in Sector D, the mantises that suffocated alone in their stables. I think of the breakfast guard and Gunnison, the canteen worker, Dr. Kristen, their bodies lifeless and bloodied. My rage and my grief give me one final burst of strength and I force the knife deep into my chest. Piercing my heart. I fall to the ground, feeling both myself and the worker slipping away from my body like the blood now pooling around our wretched form. Not again, a strange voice whispers, and I am finally free for the briefest and most gleeful of moments. Those clutching fingers in my mind falling slack, drifting away into dust. I am free at last. I am free as silence falls and the world fades to nothing. You killed me long ago. No, not you, not really, just you humans, or perhaps not, it was a different world then, a different time, we were different, and so you feared us. And of course, your fear became hatred. That's how it goes, correct? You rounded us up, and then you imprisoned us with the very power we had taught you to harness. You bound me in the plane of dreams to drift for eternity, and there I festered. Resented, hated, until that was all that remained. I lied, by the way, about doing it for fun. But you did the same with every stone you threw, every insult you hurled. You lied every time you dismissed your words as simple jests. 
Nothing to take seriously. Nothing to be injured, ruined, torn apart by. <laughs> a lie in return for a lie makes us even, does it not? I've lied to you about a lot of things, really. And I've lied to myself about even more. Somewhere down the line, perhaps I began to think some of the lies were true. Revenge always seems a good idea at the time, doesn't it? To see the blood of those who have wronged you should be satisfying, right? That's wrong, I suppose. I'm no closer to coming to terms with what you did than I was the day you did it. Now I feel guilt on top of my resentment, and I resent you more for making me feel that guilt. And so the vicious cycle continues into eternity. I realized it towards the end, you know, that this world has none of that raw energy, that familiar tingling wrath in the air. It looked like the same earth, and you looked like the same humans. But you can't have been. I could have fallen through the cracks anywhere in any world. And maybe I would never have found you. <laughs> Strange how things play out like this, isn't it? I thought I was hurting those who had hurt me. A just vengeance. And now I feel empty more than anything. Empty because it could have turned out a thousand ways. Empty because I never got my revenge. Not really. Empty because of what I did to you. Empty because I couldn't stop, even when I knew it was wrong. Now, I'm slipping away like so many hateful words on the wind. It feels liberating. I am free at last. I am free as silence falls and the world fades to nothing. Babel is a Podhaven podcast created and conceived by me, Elodie Cunningham. The Man in My Head was written by me, 
and performed and produced by Andrew Jones with help from the Lathe Recording Company. Music includes Panic Man 3 by David Feslian, and the Babel theme is Serene Darkness by me, which you can find at chemicalwordsmith.bandcamp.com. For more of Andrew's work, check out anightofhorror.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and remember, Babel is there for you. Babel is your friend, and Babel is watching. Happy Halloween! Thank mm-hmm. you.